I want to share something with you this morning that I'm titling A Miracle in the Desert. Now, metaphorically speaking, how many of you guys have ever been in a season in your life where it just seems like you're in the desert? So maybe financially, you're like, I, I, I don't know how this is going to play out, God. Or, or maybe you've been in a relationship where it just seems like it is completely over. You don't understand how God's going to come through. And then you have that one positive person in your life that says, come on, brother, it's going to be okay. And you're like, if you say that again, I'm going to punch you in the face, right? The last thing that you want to hear is positivity because you feel like God is anything but good. You ever been there? The circumstances that you're walking through, you're like, how could this be God? (laughs) How could God be good to me in this moment? Maybe you've struggled with something your entire life and you go, how could God lead me down this path? I came here to tell you today that God works miracles the best when you are in seasons of dryness. When you find yourself in a desert and it seems like you're faced against this insurmountable impossibility, when it seems like there's no way out, this is how God operates the best. So I came here to tell you today, regardless of the season that you're in, whatever you're facing or dealing with right now, could it be that the reason that we don't often see some breakthrough in our life is because we quit in the middle of the desert? Because we quit too early. Because how many of you know, sometimes life deals us some cards and it just, it's too difficult. You ever been there? Like, you're like, it's just too hard, God. Like, the logical thing that plays out in our brain is to be like, let me just check out from life. Anybody ever been tempted to do this? Anybody ever done this? You're like, today would be awesome if I could just lay on the couch and watch Netflix all day and just remove myself from every responsibility. Is this just me? (laughs) Well, we just want to check out in the hard season. Oftentimes when we find ourselves in seasons of in-between, when there's uncertainty, when we don't know what God's going to do, when we're trying to figure out his plan, and it seems no matter how hard we pull, no matter how hard we try, God doesn't reveal the plan. Anybody ever know what I'm talking about? So you find yourself in this tension of like, how could this season that I'm in be God? How could it be good? And then I came across this verse in 2 Corinthians which I've read so many times, but it spoke to me in a completely different way. And I want to read it to you this morning. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. It says, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, pause there. Paul's about to give us an insight into how God builds integrity, character, and even how he performs miracles in our life. When you feel like your body is wasting away, when the natural, when the physical world seems like everything is deteriorating, watch what's happening on the inside. Though our bodies are dying, watch this, our spirits are being renewed every day. So oftentimes when God is working in your life and it seems like everything is falling apart, he's actually doing something on the inside. He he is refining your character. He's refining your faith. He's refining your integrity. It says, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. And I know what some of us think in the middle of that verse. Well, then God doesn't see my circumstance because it's not small. (laughs) Watch this. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we do not look at our troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. 
For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. So man, when you find yourself in a desert, when you find yourself in a season and it seems like God is anything but good, even if you're older and you say like, man, I feel like I've wasted so much time. Listen, nothing is wasted with God. Nothing. You can look back at all of your history and God was preparing you and doing something inside of you for you to get to this moment that you're at right now. Could it be that when it seems like everything is wasting away, when you, when you feel like that just edge to want to give up, that God is doing something so deep inside of us? The truth is our deserts are often temporary, but sometimes it feels like they're eternal, <laughs> doesn't it? It feel, you, ever, you ever have that where people go, they come up to you and say, well, brother, it's just a season. You're like, brother, this is not a season. This has been my life, you know? It doesn't feel like a season. Because when you're in it, it doesn't feel like a season, does it? It feels like God doesn't know your dreams. It feels like God doesn't know your passions. It feels like God doesn't really know where you're trying to go or where you're trying to get. And I know it's hard to hear, but I've learned from experience. Oftentimes, we need the desert in order to get to the miracle. We need the desert in order to begin to see what God has been doing all along. I don't know about you, but when I've been through difficulty, my prayer, God, change my circumstances now. (laughs) Not like, God, you know, if you want to take a few years, I'm okay with that. No, no, no. God, change my circumstances now. But there's a lot to be learned in the desert. There's a lot of character. There's a lot of refining. There's a lot of dreams that God wants to bring to fruition in the desert. What if the desert was actually the place where miracles live? What if when you go through impossibilities in your life and seasons of dry spells and seasons when you don't understand, what if that is actually your opportunity for God to show up in a way that you never thought possible? I said this in the first service. I wonder if we don't see miracles oftentimes in our culture because we're so busy not trying to need them. So my wife and I, we've been watching this series on uh, Nat Geo called Genius. And they go through different, like, historical figures. And, and one of the things that um, the first season is all about Albert Einstein. And I love, the, I love the depiction because when you hear that name, you instantly hear of accomplishments, right? You instantly, instantly hear of acclaim, a smart guy, a genius, somebody that accomplished incredible things in, in the realm of physics and science, but what I love about this history account is they go through at the very beginning of his life, and at the very beginning of his life, he's struggling to make it. He's struggling to make money. He's borrowed money from everyone. And, and they have this scene, I think in the third or fourth episode, where he shows up at this dinner table, this fancy restaurant, and everybody's all in these fancy dresses and outfits, and it's a cool time, the top hats. I tell my wife all the time, I was like, if I could go back to any era, it'd be about the 20s. Everybody just looks cool, right? <laughs> except no air conditioning. I wouldn't live in Louisiana. But, so we come back, and he shows up to this table scene, and he's having this conversation with his mom, and he finally gets around to saying, he's like, Mom, I don't have any money. I'm out of money. I need some money. And she goes, oh, I can't give you any money. Your, Your father's business is bankrupt. And he begins to yell out, and he goes, well, then why in the world are you at this fine restaurant? Why are you taking these lavish holidays? 
They're out in the middle of Paris, France, like gallivanting around and spending all these things, staying at nice hotels, eating at nice restaurants. He's, he's going, you're telling me dad's business is broke and you're here. Why are you here? And then she says something significant. She goes, because we have to keep up appearances. Because we have to keep up appearances. I wonder if oftentimes in the desert that we don't really get real and transparent with where we are because we feel we have to keep up appearances. And the reason that we don't get the miracle is because we don't get to a place in our own soul where we're vulnerable enough to tell people where we're at. And so we get into this mechanism and this reality of trying to pretend on the outside that everything is okay when the truth is we're wasting away on the inside. See, oftentimes, because we do this naturally as human beings, God will present the desert in our life to get that out of us so that we can get to a place where we can have the courage to take off the mask, where we can have the courage to begin to dive into the shameful parts of our history that is holding us back from the joy that God actually wants to give us. I want to show you something in a story, and you've heard it before, but it's the story of the children of Israel. And you know this, God sets them free from slavery, and he he takes the entire nation of Israel, led by Moses, and they go into a desert on their way to the promised land. And they're thinking, man, God just set us free from Egypt. We're going to go to the promised land. Now, historians, they believe that it took about, if you were to walk there, that it would take about a month to walk to where they were going, to the promised land, from Egypt. It took them 40 years to get there. Now, why did it take them 40 years to get there? I'm going to give you just a few opinions that I believe. Number one, they were so sick of being in the desert that they forgot about the faithfulness of God that they constantly complained. They were not thankful that God set them free from slavery. (laughs) They constantly forgot about the faithfulness of God. So I wonder if God kept them in the desert until the desert got out of them. I wonder if God kept them there because he knew when I give you the promised land, you have to be ready for it. There's got to be some significant transformation inside of your heart. So watch this. I'll read part of the story. Exodus 17 verse 1. It says, directed by God. Just pause there. Directed by God. I want you to notice something, because sometimes we convince ourselves that we're in the desert on our own doing. And sometimes that is the case. Sometimes we've made poor decisions, and it's led us to that place. But sometimes God actually leads us there. Sometimes God leads us to the desert. It says, directed by God, the whole company of Israel moved on by the stages from the wilderness of sin. They set up camp at Rephidim, and there wasn't a drop of water for the people to drink. How many of you know in the middle of the desert, this is a problem? Like, this is a big problem. You're in the middle of the desert. There's no shade trees. It's hot. It's kind of like being in Louisiana. (laughs) Only worse. But maybe you find yourself in this exact situation. Maybe you find yourself in a desert with a lack of resources. You're like, man, I'm in this tough season and financially I'm bankrupt or relationally I'm bankrupt or I'm not at a place where I want to be. Maybe you got a bad diagnosis. Maybe there's no money in the bank. Maybe you've already signed the divorce papers going, how could God ever do something with this? You're in a situation with a desert and no water to drink and you ask yourself the question, 
could this really be good, and could this really be God? How many of you have ever asked this question? Could this really be good, and could this really be God? Can I tell you the greatest temptation that we have in the desert? The greatest temptation that we have in the desert is to believe that the miracle is the mirage. Let me explain to you. In the middle of the desert, you know this, after a lack of hydration and lack of water, it says that people will begin to see a mirage. So you can walk around and all of a sudden, like your eyes begin to play tricks on you and you think that you see this oasis, right? And so you run there, you expend all of your energy that you've been trying to conserve and save and you finally get to it and you realize that it's been a mirage. See, when you are in the desert, you are going to be tempted to settle for less than what God actually has for you. So so meaning this, you're going, well, you know, I've been trusting that God's going to send me a man, (laughs) send me a wife. And you know what the temptation in that is going to be? Instead of choosing the one that God actually has for you to settle for somebody that he doesn't. The temptation in that is going to be, well, I'm financially at a bad place. So the mirage is if I temporarily give myself some relief, I can compromise my integrity. I can compromise my, inte- my character and I can maybe do something that's going to help me. And in the moment, it gives you temporary relief, but it never gets you out of the desert. it's the reason that we look and we grab for things in our culture to give us some temporary relief. How many of you have ever been exhausted and and the Unisom gives you some temporary relief, you get some sleep, and then the problem is you wake up in the morning and you feel exhausted all over again, right? It doesn't give you the relief that you're actually looking for. So in the desert, you're going to be tempted to settle for the mirage. But I want to encourage you today to hold out long enough until you can get to the miracle. Don't buy in to the temporary solution. Don't buy into something that's not going to give you the fulfillment that only Jesus can give you. Let's keep reading in Exodus 17. Moses cried out in prayer to God. So, So here's what happens. The people are getting angry that there's no water. Now, how many know when you're angry at this point, Because they can't physically see and touch God, the people are going, we need somebody to blame. We need to look in a face and be mad at somebody. How many know when you're often mad at God, you need somebody to take it out on? It's usually your spouse. (laughs) It's all your fault, (laughs) right? So, So this is where the people are at. They're like, Moses brought us out here. He, he brought us out here to kill us. I, that was his intentions all along. So here's, Moses cried out in prayer to God. I love, he, Moses is so frustrated with the people. He's like, God, what can I do with him? Can I kill them? Can I kill them? He says, any minute now they will kill me. God said to Moses, go out ahead of the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. Okay, so Moses is getting ready. All right, yes, God's about to give me a plan here to get some water. Watch what he says. <laughs> Take the staff you use to strike the Nile and go. Now, there's some comedy in this. And the comedy is this. He's got an angry million-plus people, an entire nation. He comes down from the mountain, and the people are like, what did God say? Where's the water? I got a staff. <laughs> you got a what? How about we take that staff and beat you with it? <laughs> you, know? you have a staff. Now, there's something that is so significant in this text, and I need you to hear this. God is actually speaking to something, and I think the people got it, and I think Moses got it in that moment. Because this is the same staff that parted the Red Sea. 
this is the same staff that Moses used to throw down and it turned into a serpent. So here's what God is saying. Grab hold of the faithfulness that I was to you in the past and hold on to that. This is what God's trying to tell them. He's saying, listen, have I ever let you down before? He's saying, grab the same staff and remember how faithful I have been. When you got to the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army was behind you and you thought that you would all surely drown, what happened? You stared at something that was impossible and I began to make it possible. I, I split the Red Sea for you and the children of Israel walked through it. And just as time in time as Pharaoh's army began to follow them, he swallowed them up. So what is he saying? He's saying you need to grab hold of the faithfulness. I know there's a lot of talk in the church where we, where we say, you know, leave your past in the past. It has nothing for you. And there's a, there's a lot of truth to that. There's things that we've done that we want to move on from. But there's also the faithfulness of God in your past that you can never forget. Because when you find yourself in a desert, you have to go back to how faithful God has been to you in the past. When you find yourself in a season of just going, man, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how I'm going to walk through this. What is God saying to the people of Israel in this moment? He's saying, what is your staff? What, is, what, what are you going to hold on to to remember that I have been so faithful to you? You see, faith is not abundance. Faith is a staff. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Well, let me read it to you, and then I'll explain it this, this way. Exodus 17, verse 6. So God keeps speaking. He says, I'm going to present you before you there on the rock of Horeb. You are to strike the rock, water will gush out, and people will drink from it. Now, I, I want you to think, and this is, this is the, the incredibly important part of reading the Bible, is to try to place yourself in this situation, to, to see what it'd be like. I think oftentimes we read this and we go, okay, great. You know, Moses doesn't have to have any faith at all. God just told him to strike the rock and the, the water would gush out. And so Moses just confidently went up and he struck the rock. I don't think that's how it played out. I think it played out like I have to risk something in this. I, I have to risk that I'm going to strike a rock and look like a fool. <laughs> and that's what faith is oftentimes. God, it's going, okay, I'm going to strike the rock and I'm just going to hope water gushes out because that's what I think God told me to do. But to step out in faith, there has to be this courage of you being vulnerable that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. I have to believe that Moses is going like, God, I swear if you don't come through, <laughs> I'm going to turn around with this staff and please turn it into some like Lord of the Rings, Star Wars thing. I'm going to start slaying people with this thing, right? I have to believe if it's a human that he was nervous, that he was scared. That even though he could look back on the faithfulness of the past, how many of you know, even though you can look back on the faithfulness of the past, you're still asking the question, but God, will you do it again? And why do we ask, but God, will you do it again? Because we begin to believe that the faithfulness of God is contingent on our own goodness. And so if we had a good week that week, we believe that God will do it again. But if we had a bad week that week, we believe that we've outed ourselves from the faithfulness of God. Therefore, we didn't earn it. Therefore, God won't be faithful. See, up until this point, until he strikes the rock and many more opportunities, the children of Israel have been nothing but wicked. Like, I don't, it, from a human standpoint, God had every reason to be like, I'm just going to leave you in the desert. Like, how can you not believe that I'm not going to be faithful? Because last time I checked, like, I'm having food rain down from heaven every day. Every day. 
manna would fall down from heaven. Like, so they're, every day they're seeing the faithfulness of God. But they're so scared about water that they believe in that one moment that God is not going to be faithful. See, I'm beginning to wonder if miracles don't happen specifically in our American culture simply because we're not thirsty enough. (laughs) Simply because, let's just be honest, there's so many things in our life where we don't need God because we have Google. (laughs) We don't need God because we have recommendations on Facebook. We don't, like, is, there's, a, there's a, a part of our culture that is phenomenal. Like, I, I have literally fixed things on my car because I have YouTube. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how to change this thing, and I'm going to get shocked half to death, but uh, there's a guy on YouTube. I'm just putting my faith in this 16-year-old guy that's showing me how to change this out on the engine, and I'm not going to die, right? We put our, we, we blindly already put our faith in so many things, but what would it look like if we got to a place where you're like, you know what, I've got, I need an answer from you. One of the things that's been so helpful to me in the past few months is Pastor Tim Delina has been leading this uh, class with a lot of our younger pastors. And um, he's been teaching on different theology and stories, and, and it's been awesome. And he shared this story last month that I, I thought would fit so perfectly with this. And he shares the story of this old Baptist preacher. And... Um, like the countdown is going on, the, the, the preacher's about to, he's got like 30 seconds left before he has to preach. And so the elders look around and they see that he's not in his seat, his normal seat that he's usually sitting at and they're freaking out like, where's the pastor? So they run to his office and they knock on his door and they hear shouting. He said, I'm not going anywhere. And they're thinking, oh my gosh, what, what's going on? And then, then they hear, I'm not going anywhere unless you come with me. So they're thinking, oh my gosh, him and his wife, they're going at it, right? <laughs> him and his wife, are, they're, they're just chewing each other out. And the countdown clicks down, and they see the pastor walking down the aisle, and he's alone, and it dawned on them. He was having a conversation with the Holy Spirit, and he said, I'm not going anywhere unless you come with me. I wonder what decisions we would make and how it would look different in our life rather than running to Google, rather than running to Facebook, that we ran to the Lord and we said, I'm not going anywhere unless you come with me. I'm not making this major decision in my life unless you come with me. I'm not doing this unless you are with me. See, that is the only thing that is going to enact our faith. This deep assurance this deep knowing that no matter what we do, that God is with us. See, the children of Israel get a bad rap in this story, but there is one thing that I do love that I I think that we miss. They were persistent. (laughs) They didn't stop asking, where's the food? Where's the water? It sounds like my children. (laughs) I'm hungry, (laughs) right? They keep asking. Now, here's what's crazy. In the New Testament, we see over 40 miracles take place, the ones that are recorded. So these are just the ones that we know about. We see water turned into wine. We see lepers healed. We see lame walk. We see blind eyes open. We see dead men walk out of tombs. What do all these situations have in common? What seemed impossible became possible because one man showed up on scene. And it was Jesus. You see, when you genuinely have a a life-transforming relationship with the Lord, there is this deep assurance inside that you know that God is a miracle worker. I was having a conversation with one of my brothers on the phone about my dad, and 
I have one of my brothers who's just, na- anybody have, I'm not going to say his name, but anybody have that person in your family that is just, just negative about everything? Just negative. Brother's like, yeah, dude, I think this is dad's last leg. I'm like, dude, shut up. <laughs> why, 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 why do we say that? Because the truth is, I'll be honest with you. When you're in the desert, you have to be extremely careful of the voices that you have in your life. Because oftentimes the voices in your life will influence the decisions that you make. It will also influence the perspective that you take on your life. So if you're in a desert, I'm just going to tell you right now, you need to eliminate toxic people out of your life. Don't give them the loudest voice in your life. Surround yourself with people that are going to say, hey, we're going to make it through this. And this isn't just, you know, motivational, positive jargon. It's just how it works. How many of you know when you're through a difficult time and you're finally working on building your perspective and you have that one person come along and you're like, yeah, life sucks. It's terrible. I mean, yes, and you're like, man, it does suck. It do-. And you start getting there low with them. You know what I mean? Never forget who Jesus is. In the New Testament, one of the names that they constantly called him was Miracle Worker. That's who he is. It's what he does. He takes the impossible from the natural eye of what we see and say, man, there's nothing left here. How is this going to work? How is this going to work? How is this going to play out? And Jesus always shows up on the scene. In South Louisiana, he would say, hold my tea. We know it would say something else, but, <laughs> right? But what does he do? He comes in. And he does what only he can do. Here's what I want you to understand. Jesus is not a resource. He is the only source of life. He's not this genie in the sky that we call on when we just need him. That he's actually a friend that wants to sit with you who can be closer than a brother. He is the source of joy. He is the source of life. See, when Jesus is your source, everything in your life the way that you view life, the way that you look at life begins to be different. You have to start focusing on not what you don't have, but what you do have. (laughs) So let me tell you why Jesus allows the desert to remain in our life. Anybody ever use Polaroids? Anybody old enough to like, you you remember when Polaroids came out and you thought it was like the, the greatest piece of technology on the face of the earth? You're like, this is amazing. I can take a picture and it prints it out, right? Now, if you remember anything about Polaroids, you'll you'll remember this. When you would take the picture, if you ripped the film off too early, what happened? It it exposed the film, right? Why did it expose it? Because it wasn't ready for the film to be ripped off. Oftentimes, I'll just tell you this. There's so many people in our culture that are overexposed and underdeveloped. So what does Jesus do? He goes, if I give you the desert, if I take the desert away from you and I push you to the top where you want to be, he said, you won't be able to handle it. So I keep the desert because we've got to build some integrity. We've got to build some character. Rick Warren, who wrote the best-selling book of all time, The Purpose Driven Life Outside of the Bible. It is literally the best-selling book outside of the Bible of all time. Here's what you don't know about Rick Warren. Years ago, before he wrote the book, him and his wife had sat down and made a commitment that every single year we're going to give 1% more of our income. And if we can do it, if we can do more, then we'll do it. 
If not, we'll stick at the 1%. And the goal of their life was to give away 99% of what they brought in and live off of one. So they started creating this pattern in their life of generosity, of just going, like, how can we live simple? How can we, like, all these things. And by the time that he got to write that book, which, by the way, was just a resource for his church. It was not even supposed to be a book. It was just supposed to be like a life group material. That's all it was supposed to be. And then it blew up and it took off. And here's what's crazy. What people don't know about that book is they can look at him and say, oh, he's just one of those rich preachers. He's not. He never made a penny off of that book. As soon as he wrote it and, and saw that it was going to have some success, he signed the rights over to the church. Like hundreds of millions of dollars have been brought in because of this book. Hundreds of millions. They built orphanages all over Africa. They've helped start churches all over. Why did God let him write the best-selling book of all time outside of the Bible? Because he knew that when he gave him such a great responsibility of so much money that he had the integrity to be able to handle it. That he knew, like, okay, I gave you a gift to write, and I know that you can steward it well. And because you can steward it well, I'll pour out my blessings upon it. The reason that sometimes we don't get out of the desert as soon as we want to, because we're not done developing. We're like the Polaroid. You want to take the film off real, real quick, and I just want to show everybody what I can do. And God said, you're not ready. And, and it's not, listen, it's not a bad thing. Don't despise the desert. Because the desert is the place where God begins to build inside of you what only he can do inside of you in the desert. You may not want to hear this, but many of us need the desert. We need the desert. So it, 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 the stuff that is inside of us has to get out of us. And God's mechanism of getting the desert out of us, of getting the stuff out of us, is often the desert. Let me show it to you in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. It says, even though you have put up with every kind of aggravation in the meantime. I love how Peter writes that. Even though you've put up with everything that just frustrates you. Watch this. Pure gold put in the fire comes out of it pure. Genuine faith put through this. What's that word? Suffering. Stop there. Genuine faith. Genuine hope. Genuine trust in the Lord comes through suffering. What happens in the desert? Suffering. God's mechanism of growing us up into the people that he wants us to be, the people that he knows that we can be, is suffering. Because if he gave, listen to me, if he gave you everything that you wanted just instantly in that moment, you would get to a place where you no longer need him because you would just think that you were that good to get all that stuff. <laughs> genuine faith put through this suffering comes out proven genuine. Now watch this. When Jesus wraps all this up, it is your faith, not your gold. You can substitute that word. It is your faith, not your stuff, that God will have on display as evidence of his victory. The richest man in the world is a man that knows who he is in Christ. It is, it is not a man who has attained all this stuff and say, look at all the things that I've built. The richest man in the world is a man that has walked through the desert a man that has walked through suffering and can still say, God is my joy. 
that, that, that's throughout this entire journey, the past nine years of my dad walking through cancer. That is one thing that he's taught me. And one thing that I've learned through this entire situation and season. And I'm, I'm, I don't say this just to lift him up or to boast. He has never complained. He's never been like, I wish I wouldn't have to walk through this. I'm not saying that he hasn't had rough times. I'm not saying that he hasn't been human, that he hasn't doubted. But he's always been hopeful in the fact that, and, and I can tell you why. The reason that he's been able to walk through this season the way that he has is because he allowed God to build a foundation in his life. And my hope and my prayer for you today is that before you have to walk through something difficult that you've built some roots. Because it's really hard to build a ship in the middle of the water. It's really hard to dig down some roots when you're walking through a season of difficulty. The reason he can walk through the season the way that he is is because he already had some roots in place. That is what true faith looks like. Now, remember, all Moses had was a staff and a rock. I don't know about you, but the last time I checked when it comes to chemistry, a staff and a rock does not equal water. (laughs) But in order to experience a miracle in the desert, all God needs is your faith. All he needs is your faith. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now at this point. That's great, but I have been through so many horrendous deserts, my faith is gone. It's dead. Because I know what some of you hear me saying, well, if, if I put my hope and my trust in God one more time, according to everybody else in my life that has let me down, then I'm setting myself up for possibly being let down again by God, and I can't walk through that again. Right? That, that's always, that's always the, the vulnerable part about faith. Well, what if I give everything that I have and it doesn't work out how I wanted it to? Here's what you can have hope and faith in. If you follow the process in the path that God has for you, it may not look like what you wanted it to look like, but it will always look like what he intended it to look like. The resurrection of Jesus defied logic. It did not make any sense. The ingredients weren't, like he was dead. I don't know about you, but I've never done a funeral where anybody has come out dead. I mean, where anybody has come out alive. It's like we're in closing. Oh my God, like it's never happened. I'm not saying that it it couldn't happen. Jesus saw it happen. But I think that we have to realize that the resurrection was just not some historical event, but it is the foundation of our faith. Because here's the truth. If Jesus would have died on that cross and never rose from the grave, there'd be no point in any of this. There'd be no point in any of it. Because then he would have been a crazy man who made a lot of claims and wasn't able to fulfill them. But because he rose from the dead, it says the same power that resurrected Christ from the dead also has the ability to live in you and me. So when you face the deserts in your life and the impossibilities in your life, that is the power that you have the ability to tap into. So Ezekiel 37, let me give you a little context. This is what I texted my, my parents this morning. God is giving Ezekiel a prophecy about this rebirth, about the nation of Israel. It, it's been completely destroyed. And the prophet Ezekiel is just going like, man, how could God ever rebuild a great nation? There's so much destruction. 
much death. There's, there's no good people left. And God begins to prophesy to Ezekiel, and this is Ezekiel 37. It says, suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together. I, I don't know about you, but I'm like, God, I've seen this before in scary movies. I'm out, <laughs> right? <laughs> I have seen this play out. I'm about to get eaten, right? The bones of each body came together, watch this, and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones. The skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath. Notice that before God put the skin on, he had to bring the bones together. Why? I think he was actually trying to speak to us in a metaphor about this. Because here's the truth. Many of you are hiding ugly situations under pretty skin. So what is God doing here before he breathes life into the body? He's trying to give us a symbol of, I got to do, do something on the inside. I got to bring all this back together. I got to bring the bones back. I got to bring the muscles back, the tendons back. And before I can breathe life into the dream, before I can bring life into the possibility, you got to go through the desert. Because here's what happens in the desert. God begins to open up your eyes to different things of going, wow, shame has really held me back. Maybe, maybe it was something that you've never told anybody. Maybe it was something that happened to you and you felt like whatever that situation was, it made you less than. And, and that one situation has been chipping away at your soul. It's been chipping away at your joy. I, I can tell you this through experience. There is nothing more miserable, nothing than being a Christian and knowing the power and the joy that you have access to, but you cannot access it because you're stuck in shame. Because you're stuck in hiding. Because you're stuck in going, man, if I open up this, then what are they going to think? Or if I, if I share this, then what's going to happen? See, many of us are hiding ugly situations under pretty skin. But here is the beautiful thing about the Father. It, is it doesn't matter what you've walked through. It doesn't matter what has happened to you. It doesn't matter what you've done. The response of the Father is always one out of compassion and love. And so here's what I want you to understand. Every time you go to Jesus and you hear a negative voice of you saying, oh, well, the reason that I can't forgive you is that it is this. Or if you hear a voice that says, man, I just wish I would have never done that. Know two things. One, that's the enemy. And two, that's your shame. Because God never responds to us like that. This is why he gives us the parable of the prodigal son. It is a depiction of how God responds to us every single time we decide to come home. The prodigal son comes home and what happens? Does the father mention anything about his past? No. He doesn't say, well, where have you been? What kind of drugs did you take? How many women did you sleep with? Where did you spend my money? He doesn't say any of that. He just says, come home, I love you, let's celebrate. See, that is the response that the Father has every single time we come home. There's no shame, there's no guilt. So watch this, Ezekiel 37, 9 through 10. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message. So listen, all the bones have come together, the flesh has come together, and now he's saying to Ezekiel, now you're going to have to have some faith. Now you see all these dead corpses, and now I want you to prophesy to them. Watch. Speak a prophetic message to the wind, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what he, sovereign Lord, says. 
Come, O breath from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. Now watch this. Now he, he steps out in faith. So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. What would it look like in the middle of the desert that we started speaking faith through our situation? Even when we don't believe it. Even, even when it's a wrestle and a fight for us to believe it. I was sharing this with somebody in a lobby earlier, but there's a story in the Old Testament of Elijah. And the armies of God are fighting below, and Elijah's praying, and he's like, man, we're, we're going to lose. He's with his servant. And it says their armies are surrounded. He prays a simple prayer, and God says, open your eyes. And it says, he's like, what do you mean, God? I mean, uh, my eyes are open. And he says, no, open your eyes. And God opens his eyes for a moment, and he begins to see into the spiritual world. And he begins to see chariots of angels and warriors all around. See, oftentimes when you're in the desert, you don't even realize all of the work that God is doing. The refining that he's doing, the character that he's building, the integrity that he's building. And sometimes... It's not the character. Sometimes it's not the integrity, although he isn't doing all those things. Sometimes, here's, here's what he wants for you. By the time that you finally get to the promised land, that you can get there with a sense of freedom and there's no shame that is going to rob anything from you. He wants you to get to the promised land and not have that one thing in your life that's constantly going, well, yeah, you can enjoy this until somebody finds out who you are. There's nothing worse than that. There's nothing worse than being at a season of your life where you can see clearly the promise that God has for you. But knowing, man, if if somebody finds this out, like I'll be outed. So I just want to challenge you today. If there's something in your life, because sometimes you're in the desert because God has you there for a reason, and sometimes you're in the desert, let's just be honest, because you put yourself there. We put ourselves there by poor decisions. But here's what I want you to know. Regardless of how you got there, that doesn't matter. Regardless of how you got there, God's response will always be the same. Now, I wish that faith looked like this. I wish that faith looked like God gave us the solution. He said, Zach, do one, two, three. And when you do one, two, three, then I'll follow you with four, five, six. And so then I would just step out. But faith looks like this. Zach, you go, and you got to trust me. But, but God, are you going to be there? Just, just go. But God, I, just go. <laughs> this is what I love about the story of Peter, right? When he sees Jesus walking on the water. When he sees Jesus walking on the water, he's like, I want to do that. And God's like, just get out of the boat. What do you mean, get out of the boat? <laughs> You're Jesus. I'm Peter, <laughs> right? Just get out of the boat. What does he do? He, he has to trust in what God said. Get out of the boat and you can come walk on water with me. Even though logically, can you imagine logically in your brain what you're thinking? Like nobody walks on the surface of water. This just doesn't make sense. When you are in the desert, it is so important to not always buy into logically, intellectually, what your brain is telling you that you can and you can't do. 
For it, there is this heart thing where you have to align your heart and your mind to go, God, logically, let's just be honest, this makes no sense. No sense. But I'm going to hold on to the staff, the same staff that part of the Red Sea, the same staff that released the people from Egypt, and I'm going to come to this rock, and I'm going to strike the rock because I know that you've been faithful in the past, therefore you're going to be faithful in the future. We've got to remember that. So my prayer for you today is simply this as I close. That if you find yourself in desert, if you find yourself in a season of dryness, if you find yourself where you feel like it's not good and you don't feel like it's God, one, could it be God? Could it be that God loves you so much that he's trying to refine some things in you? He's doing something deeper in you than you even realize. I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, you're probably, the worst critic in your life is not your best friend, it's you. I can promise you this. If you take this journey, sometimes you might not grow as fast as you want to, but you are growing. It's the same process of watching my kids get older and grow. I mean, it seems like yesterday I had a newborn and now I have a 10-year-old. What in the world? Like, he's been, he's like, I'm 10 now. Can I stay home by myself? I'm like, golly. Life goes by like this. And the truth is, some of us are, are much harder on ourselves than we should be. Because <laughs> can I tell you something? Some of the lies that some of you have believed about yourself, the Father doesn't even think that about you. Like if you think you're a nobody, if you think that you've blown it, if you think that you don't earn it, or if you think that you're not good enough, if you think that it'll never happen because you lay out the laundry list. And I tell you, like, the, God doesn't even view you like that. He doesn't look at you like that. He looks at you as a precious son, a precious daughter who loves you no matter what. I mean, think about your own kids for a moment. Though their decisions may frustrate you sometimes and though they may do things that you don't agree with, you would never do yourself. You still love them, no matter what. I think oftentimes we're so hard on ourselves, and it's the reason that we don't get out of the desert. 